Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 16 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss Turner Sports, uh, the shocking acquisition of the UEFA Champions League rights in the United States, and what it means uh, for soccer fans. Also, what soccer fans uh, need to know about YouTube's new uh, live streaming service. And also, we've got news about a new Premier League Behind the Badge series coming from NBC, and much, much more, also including uh, your questions. Kartik, how are you uh, doing today? I'm doing quite well, Chris. Thank you. All right, cool, Kartik. So let's let's jump right into uh, what we've been watching this past week. My name is Christopher Harris, uh, aka the Gaffer. Uh, Kartik, let me let me turn it over to, over to you in terms of uh, some of the matches that you've been seeing and anything that uh, jumped out at you this past week. Yeah, uh, the Bayern HSV game, Bayern Hamburg game. Bayern has had this rough stretch of five matches where they. Uh, or four matches to, to start the uh, the spring season, if you will, or the uh, the, the post winter break uh, Bundesliga, where they uh, were, were fortunate to pull through um, through two of them, and then uh, had uh, two draws, right? Uh, and, and one of the draws uh, uh, last week at Ingolstadt, they were extremely fortunate with uh, excuse me, not at Ingolstadt at Hertha. Uh, where they were very uh, fortunate with that late stoppage time goal on a free kick where of, uh, it was the sixth minute of what announced four or five minutes of stoppage time. So they had been playing very poorly coming into this game against Hamburg, uh, po- poorly in the Bundesliga. Of course, we saw them crush Bayern, uh, crush Arsenal 5-1 in, in the midst of that difficult stretch where they uh, were scoring late goals to escape uh, game after game. And, and Leipzig is, in spite of all the problems Red Bull Leipzig has had coming out of the uh, the break, they are still only five points behind Bayern. So thought, okay, uh, Hamburg really needs this match. Maybe they're going to they're gonna be cagey. Maybe they'll play defensively. They just got ripped to shreds. 8-0 was the final. And uh, it was a treat to have Eric Winalda on commentary because he was able to really dissect all of the defensive mistakes that Hertha was making. And I have to say... Excuse me, not Hertha, Hamburg. I have to say that uh, this is going to probably irk a lot of our listeners, but the more I watch Fox, including the studio with Warren Barton and Alexi Lawless, and they were in studio for Huddersfield and Manchester City, the more I'm getting an appreciation for how much uh, they understand the art of defending, believe it or not. 
and that uh, when, when, when they're tuned in, I mean, a lot of times Wallace is resor- resorting to hyperbole and Barton gives you the obvious commentary. But when they're tuned in, they're able to dissect defense, defending in a, in a way that I think a lot of the analysts on other networks don't, well, partly because Wallace and Barton were defenders. And I think Winalda is just very smart and very bookish about the sport. So um, he was really good in, in breaking down all of the mistakes and positioning and turns and, and uh, just general defending and, and tactical thought process for the Hamburg players. So that was, uh, that was an 8-0 game. Uh, the next day, actually, Carter, uh, oh, I was just going to throw uh, add in, in in terms of that game though too. I mean, like, how often is it that you see? I mean, score lines like that. Well, not so much maybe this season, but in previous seasons in the Bundesliga, and, all the time, right? And it just shows kind of like just the the gulf in talent between the top and, and the bottom. Uh, you don't see that as much in the Premier League in terms of at least the games are more kind of closer score lines. But still, to me, it's a kind of a poor reflection on the Bundesliga. I mean, you want to kind of see more competitive. Uh, games rather than kind of one-sided matches, but uh, uh, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, I mean, Hamburg's in a lot of trouble, so uh, yeah. I you know I I wonder whether I like uh, the these score lines, which are predictable, better than uh, I, I, I if the top teams drop points, I'm all for it. But watching the agonizingness of a Bayern pulling out result after result, the way Manchester United under Ferguson used to, you get your hopes up thinking, oh my gosh, Wolves is going to get a point here, or yep. West Brom's going to get a point here, and then there's the late stoppage time goal. That's been happening with Bayern now. It, it's almost, maybe it'd be better if, if in the Fergie days, Manchester United was beating teams 8-0, and we would not get our hopes up every <laughs> week that they were, they were going to drop points. And, and uh, same deal for Chelsea when they were really rolling. Uh, the season under Ancelotti, the first season under Ancelotti, when they scored 103 goals in the league, I want to say something just ridiculous. And then obviously one of the seasons under Mourinho, they were absolutely unbeatable also. and were winning by those sorts of score lines. So uh, uh, Mourinho uh, part one, not Mourinho part two, when they were winning a lot of one nils mm-hmm. and, and pulling out games the way Bayern has this season. So, yeah, that, that, that is a very valid critique of the Bundesliga. The flip side of that is La Liga, where we used to see those sorts of score lines and we just aren't anymore. Um, I, I have to say it, it was a bitter disappointment Bien's uh, Sunday. Well, for, first, before we get to that, uh, Bien led into uh, uh, ha- had, of course, the League Cup final. And in that League Cup final, uh, it was um, it was quite good in the, in the in the sense that they had good build up with Thomas Rongen and co in studio and I thought Southampton played brilliantly. Claude Puel, as Stuart Robson mentioned on the commentary, another network Stuart Robson's been with now. We talked about Stuart Robson, Fox, NBC, ESPN. He knew he was contracted to ESPN. We had that conversation just last week. Yep. Didn't even think about being for the League Cup final. But um, So Stuart Robson, Bravo on the fourth network in the U.S., he um, made some very good points tactically that, that Claude Puel was spot on. Mm-hmm. Southampton had everything... Uh, right. They just got unlucky. Obviously, I think Gav, uh, Gavadini's first goal should have stood. He scores two more. Uh, but there's the brilliance of Ibra. That, so that was the League Cup final. That led into the Villarreal-Real Madrid game. And this is one of the best matches of football I've watched all season, Chris. Hmm. But it also left such a sour taste in my mouth and the mouths of so many people because of, the, of what happened and what transpired. First half was very open, very entertaining, but it was nil-nil. Um, Ray Hudson was getting off the edge of his seat constantly, which to me is quite annoying. He gets excited about every little thing. Phil Shane, as usual, really good, really professional. Um, 
having to try and keep Hudson grounded or, or just indulging him. Then the second half, Villarreal gets out to, the, to, to a 2-0 lead. The, all, all those good chances they had in the first half finally paying off. And then there was this um, bizarre call that gave Real Madrid a penalty, changed the match. They end up winning 3-2. And you just kind of knew it was going to happen after that call. They get the three points, which uh, obviously they gave points back uh, midweek. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. But um, great telecast from being just another match in La Liga. And we've talked about this before. Another match in La Liga this season influenced by the officials. It's happening every single week. And it's, um, I think, diminishing a lot of outsiders' enthusiasm for the league because they feel like Barcelona and Real Madrid are always getting these calls. And uh, it it happened last season when Barcelona played Atleti, I think, in both matches uh, and and essentially took Atleti out of the title race was was the odd calls in both legs. And then when... um, in Champions League, when they played each other, Atleti got a favorable call and went through, remember, in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was uh, just a, a terrible call, one, one of the most egregious calls you'll see all season. And um, Real Madrid won. So that, you- was, uh, that was my, kind of my week. And then, of course, Huddersfield, Man City, I mentioned earlier. So, Kostek, do you think in, in terms of those key decisions, especially in this uh, Villarreal-Real uh, Madrid game, do you think you mean, bribes were involved? I mean, obviously you wouldn't know, but from the refs. I mean, is, is that something where it's such a bizarre, controversial call that it just doesn't make sense? So ESPN FC got into that the next day, and, and uh, Sidlo was on and said, hey, it was just a gift, Real Madrid. Because uh, Villarreal said, look, the ref was leaving with a Real Madrid back. So it, it's not that we're, we're just pulling this out of thin air. The Villarreal is implying, Villarreal's club officials are implying it happened because the refs left with a Real Madrid bag. What Sidlo said was that, it is customary in Spain for some clubs to give gifts to the referees, um, <laughs> just, you know, club swag, club wow. swag or whatever. Wow. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know that that's a, that's an acceptable practice. Right. And uh, clearly Villarreal, maybe they've engaged in it themselves in the past. I don't know. I, I don't want to uh, say that they haven't, but they, they, they clearly felt like they were some quid pro quo. Yeah. So um, it, it's a, uh, it's a messy situation, and uh, I, I think that the reaction on the ESPN FC show was it was one of, of a little bit of shock from uh, uh, from Moreno and from uh, from uh, Craig Burley. We, we've seen in Major League Soccer when um, a referee. This is now going back eight years, and he stole referee Jair Barufo uh, took a uh, took a shirt in the 2009 season from. Uh, Cuauhtémoc Blanco after the game you know, from Chicago Fire, mm-hmm. Columbus complained. Columbus crew were the opposing team. Marufo was uh, demoted to the second division for the rest of the season and only reemerged in Major League Soccer a year later as an official. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not an acceptable practice in the United States. I know it's not an acceptable practice in England or Germany. Uh, it'd be interesting to get Gab Marcotti's take. He, he wasn't on the show at that particular point, although he tends to be on the show every day right. uh, to, to see if it's acceptable, if it's uh, commonplace in italy i'm not sure it is so uh yeah this game has uh, created a lot of buzz a lot of uh, controversy and again it's, it's so tragic because i think villarreal played for me one of the best games i've seen against a big team all season we've we've seen real madrid drop points we've seen barcelona drop points we've seen Bayern drop points and even chelsea occasionally drop points in the, in the premier league and certainly psg dropping a ton of points in Liga. but i don't remember a game that i had watched start to finish where 
the opposing team played this well against one of those top European teams and then didn't even get a point out of it. Right, right. Yeah, and going going back on, onto this one in terms of the video assistant referee, I mean, that's probably a good example in terms of at least making the game fairer uh, and removing the opportunity for, if there are bribes, I mean, I'm not saying that there is, but you mean, we know in the past there have been uh, in, in different leagues uh, around the world, but... Um, but, and actually rewinding even a little bit further back to the, the League Cup final, I mean, to me, Kartik, I mean, Southampton got completely robbed in this game. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was a blatant. I mean, so having a video assistant referee um, and having them look at that instance, I mean, immediately they said, okay, that, that should have been a goal. Um, and then in clear-cut opportunities like that, it makes total sense. Like we talked about last week, too, when it's kind of a very subjective, whether it's a handball and we saw that in the Man City Huddersfield game, um, handballs actually, uh, or if it's a, a penalty call where it's, I mean, it's so hard to tell. Yeah, but, I mean, Lawless actually counted in the Manchester City Huddersfield game, and I think he counted three handballs that weren't called in yeah. the first half. At halftime, he counted that. So that's uh, again, I mean, maybe the video assistant referee isn't as vigilant as Alexi Lawless is sitting in the Fox studio about uh, critiquing and analyzing this stuff, but. If, he, if he's halfway as vigilant as, as Wallace, you at least have one or two overturned calls, right. which will make the game fairer. Exactly, exactly. So the Man, City, uh, the Man United against Southampton game, I actually I really enjoyed this one, Kartik. I, uh, over the weekend, um, my daughter was playing travel, travel soccer, so pretty much the whole the entire weekend I was driving her around to different games. Um, so I recorded it uh, with Fubo on the, the DVR, recorded it on Sunday morning, and then got home, I think, Sunday evening, and then watched the whole thing uh, through Fubo. And it worked, basically took out my Chromecast and then casted it from my computer uh, to the TV screen, and it, it was perfect. Uh, really enjoyed the match. I thought it was really entertaining and um, a great cup final match. And uh, I just really felt bad for, for Southampton as a neutral as a Southampton fan, I can just uh, I can't even imagine how, how upset they must have been about this one. Um, and I enjoyed too the, the pregame coverage with uh, Kay Murray, uh, Thomas Rongan, and Gary Bailey. And um, hats off to Be in Sports too for showing the, the trophy celebration uh, after the game too. I, I have to say, Kay Murray has really grown into a top top presenter. And um, hint hint to Turner Sports. Uh, we'll get to that later <laughs> in the show. Uh, I watched a bunch of other matches, too. I mean, some of the ones that uh, stood out for me, I'm just going to mention um, Leicester against Liverpool. And uh, this one, Kartik, um, again, is another instance of um, something that NBC did that not a lot of people knew about, but I just happened to be online, uh, I think about noon Eastern time on Monday, and um, saw that Arlo White was live streaming from, uh, from the King Power Stadium at Leicester. And he was doing a behind-the-scenes Facebook Live video stream uh, to show kind of all his preparation that goes uh, into a match and showed Graham Lasso and, uh, and then he walked you through the stadium, showed, showed uh, where the commentary gantry was and uh, kind of where everyone sits, etc. And I, I thought it was really very insightful. Um, he showed us kind of all the equipment that they use, uh, the match cameras, the lip mics, and, and he answered questions from, uh, from I guess, Facebook uh, readers. And again, I thought it was a great way to kind of um, bring you into the broadcast and show you kind of all the, the hard work, the hours of time that goes into uh, a broadcast like that, uh, just from the match itself. Obviously, there's a lot of more work being done by the production crew in Stanford, Connecticut, 
but I enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, pre-game, Kartik, here we go again. Uh, NBC Sports for the, the Leicester-Liverpool match. Uh, Use the touchscreen tablets. Uh, in really what is, to me at this point, it's an infomercial uh, for, I won't mention the name of the company, and we had Robbie Earle and um, I think Musto at this time, and they pretended, actually was it? Uh, it was, was Martino. Ma- Martino, that's Martino. And they pretended to use the tablets to show on-screen tactical analysis with, with Leicester. And I mean, I mean, to me, it's like, come on, NBC Sports, you're, you're better than that. Uh, the game itself, Kartik, I, I enjoyed. Really good game. Um, I, I actually missed the second half because, again, I had to take my daughter, uh, sure. daughter to a soccer game. game. From Liverpool's perspective. Well, I, I yeah, just, from the neutral perspective. I, and I guess, you know, the reality is after the game, I tweeted, or at halftime, I think I tweeted, this was entirely predictable. Liverpool against a, a bottom side. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you want to create some momentum, maybe Leicester made the move when they did because they knew that this was a game Ranieri would probably end up winning. And, and they didn't want to then be stuck with him yeah. for, um, for a while longer. But it was just a good telecast from NBC. I, I think Liam McHugh, by the way, has really grown into this role. Uh, he generally does hockey games on NBC. Yeah. But he's really grown into this role as the midweek uh, uh, host for, for Premier League Live and, and for uh, the halftime show. But, uh, boy, what, what, a, what a dud of a game from Liverpool's perspective. And, and they're, just, they're just coming apart at the seams, unfortunately – um, I'll let you get back to your list in a minute, but I had predicted before the season Liverpool would finish eighth or ninth in the league. Just got battered on Twitter, rightfully so, mm-hmm. for about three months by Liverpool supporters, who we know many of whom are not very—they're not very nuanced in how they present themselves. And uh, I haven't heard from any of them since uh, since the new year. Really, I mean, it's yeah. been two months of this. Yeah. And this is the Liverpool I actually expected to see before the season. So I think, in spite of the critiques now of Jurgen Klopp, he's gotten more out of this team than just about any other manager would. You look at their club, I think maybe San, uh, Mane and um, maybe Coutinho, maybe not, uh, would get into another top side. And uh, uh, perhaps Jordan Henderson. Yeah. But that's it. I, they, they, have, they do not have a top four level of player. Yet they're hanging around. I mean, they're... they're right around Man United and Man City and Arsenal on the table, all three of those sides have much better players, much better personnel. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Tottenham has much better personnel, in my opinion, and they beat Tottenham a few weeks ago. So uh, I, I think there's now a lot of criticism of Klopp coming because he's been cursed by having such a good start. But this is the Liverpool I think I expected to see. Not I think. I know I expected to see before the season, and I think other pundits deep down expected to see as well. So... Liverpool fans should go easy on Jurgen Klopp because he he's got he he's got a massive rebuild and doesn't have the squad that other uh, Premier League managers do and, and I think it's going to take another window or two. Yeah, it was one of those matches where it was like as I was watching it, it was like okay, is Leicester this good? Is Liverpool that bad? And based on you know from the matches we've seen in 2017, except for a couple of exceptions, yes, it is. Liverpool is that bad. For Leicester, though, it'll be a nice confidence boost, and let's see if they can continue playing at that level, at that, that intensity. Uh, we should have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, one more match, Kartik, I want to point out, and that was uh, Brighton against Newcastle United. Uh, I watched this one on, I think, Tuesday. Uh, what a match. I watched this one on, um, on BN Sports. It was uh, first against second, uh, another one of those games for Brighton, actually where they were far the better team for the majority of the game. But Newcastle uh, came back and sneaked uh, two late goals to win it 2-1 at the depth. Uh, at the depth. 
uh, one of which was from uh, Diame, which was probably one of the luckiest goals you ever, you'll uh, ever see, just kind of a deflection, but it, he might have actually intended it. Um, and the second goal from Newcastle, the one that uh, won it, uh, was after a stupendous 80-yard uh, driven pass by Matt Ritchie, uh, probably one of the best passes I've seen this entire season from any league, absolutely incredible. Uh, but really quality game from both sides, and um, to me, both of those teams look, uh, at, at, least, at least at that level, uh, Premier League quality. Obviously, if they both go up, I'm sure both of them are, are going to start uh, having to buy a bunch of players to strengthen the side, but it was a really quality game and really, really enjoyed I, it. I should point out that Brighton uh, has typically faded late in the season these last few years. And last year, they were very unlucky not to be promoted, right? There were three teams that had separated themselves from the rest of the league. It was Borough, uh, Brighton, and Burnley. And they ended up being that third team, ended up in a playoff and got upset. And I, and I can totally see how that happens, uh, the disappointment after you push so hard for automatic promotion. Uh, they have been hanging around for years and years and years under uh, Gus Poyet and then under his successor, whose name escapes me, but he was also uh, – I think he was also South American. And then uh, now under Chris Hooten, who's one of the top managers in English football, in my opinion, if they don't go up, if they don't, or if they're not automatically promoted this year, if Huddersfield catches them or it's looking less likely Reading or Leeds will catch them, but if Huddersfield happens to catch them, I don't know how they're going to fare in the playoffs. And that could be the moment where this, this side gets completely broken up finally. Yeah. Yeah, and actually Newcastle plays Huddersfield this weekend. Um, I, th- I think Brighton will be okay. I mean, I, I mean they're playing at a high enough level. They, they just have to basically keep it together. Um, and, right, uh, right, right. And, at this and point, if there wasn't a history with them right. not keeping it together, I yeah. wouldn't even bring it up. But yeah. there, there have been clubs in the past that have been like this. Preston North End under David Moyes uh, for several years. And mm-hmm. then uh, that uh, side was inherited by Billy Davies, who, who kind of kept it going. They, they were knocking on the door of the Premier League every year. And they were in the playoffs every year. And they were usually not the six. They were the three or the four. And they never made it. I think yeah. it was four times in six years they went to the playoffs, didn't make it up. It, it almost happened with Cardiff before they finally got automatically promoted and they went right back down. Mm-hmm. But Brighton is in that zone where they could fall away if they don't go up this season. So that's why I'm concerned about it. Uh, if it were any other club, I probably wouldn't be. But uh, they have a history, including last season, of uh, I don't want to say bottling it at the end because it's such a tough thing to do, but not keeping that level uh, throughout the, the season when, when the going really got tough. Yeah, I, I hope they make it. I mean, they've got a great stadium. They get, yeah, they, I do too. They play a great uh, brand of football. Um, they're definitely appealing to watch. So fingers crossed on that one. And then uh, last but uh, not least, um, one, one thing I did t- uh, this week was a little bit different as I listened to um, an interview. This is with uh, Kyle Martino on Grant Wall's uh, Planet Football podcast uh, at Sports Illustrated. So it's on SoundCloud if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, but I actually uh, really recommend it. Uh, He talks about what it was like working at ESPN and Fox and then what the difference is at NBC. Uh, He also goes into the detail about kind of the planning and research that that goes into his prep for every Premier League weekend. And that's pretty uh, enlightening and revealing. At the same time, Kartik, I think you and I have talked about on this show and in articles uh, previously in terms of uh, kind of we can see the amount of work he does and the amount of detail and uh, analysis and critique. I mean, he's definitely at the top of his game uh, in this country. And kind of as he goes through the interview, he kind of talks about all the preparation he does. And that gives you a good idea of, of why he is is so much improved from from the, the days when he started out um, after, after retiring from soccer uh, through injury. 
so the first half of the interview is really recommended. There's a middle part that they start talking about Trump and politics, which kind of turned me off. Um, so I skipped past that part. I wasn't in, into that. But then the last part of the interview is really um, enlightening as uh, Carl Martino discusses how he was blocked by the U.S. Soccer Federation from attending a U.S. men's national team press conference while, mm. while, while NBC Sports had the rights to some USA games. And he goes into detail. Basically, it's kind of a, a conversation. Or actually, it was a critique that he had about Klinsman. And then he got a call from U.S. Soccer, I think a, few, a couple of hours later, uh, to say that uh, Klinsman wasn't happy with uh, what he said and uh, wanted to talk to him. And, uh, and I think Kyle kind of blew him off a little bit because he said he was catching a plane. And then the next thing he found out, he had his uh, credentials uh, taken away from him. <laughs> so, so it was. Um, it was interesting. I, I got to listen to this interview because that's yeah. uh, that 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 is a repeating theme, a recurring theme in the uh, U.S. soccer world in the Sunil Gulati administered U.S. Soccer Federation. So, uh, I'm I'm anxious to listen to that. I I may I may want to listen to the political part too because uh, Martino tends uh, my views on Trump tend to correspond with his. So. Um, not sure where Grant Wall is on everything, but um, I, I might want to listen to that political part too. But I, I think this is look, we have a U.S. soccer election next year, and Sudio Gulati uh, could get a, a serious challenge uh, if he runs. If he runs again, uh, term limits apparently don't apply to him, uh, even though there's going to be a term limit put in place. And again, the governance of U.S. soccer is very confusing; they're not transparent at all. Mm-hmm. So we don't even know the process for qualifying as a candidate and running for president. There are several former players who have expressed an interest in, in potentially running the U.S. Soccer Federation, one of which is Jimmy Conrad, uh, a, who um, has been a, a critic also of U.S. soccer. Uh, but Martino and Taylor Twelman both, uh, as uh, things were really unraveling with uh, Klinsman, the, uh, U- the U.S. women's CBA, and the uh, whole Division II uh, kerfuffle between NASL and USL, both had indicated that they felt like maybe the time was right for another, for someone else to lead U.S. soccer into the future. And my question is, will there be uh, continued IDing of journalists as we go into a U.S. soccer election year and U.S. soccer's uh, attempts to, to lure the 2026 World Cup to um, to the United States. And, and I, again, I haven't listened to the interview yet. I need to go back and listen to it. But I'm, I'm thinking maybe Martino referenced in talking about Donald Trump referenced the U.S. bid for 2026, which I think whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, a liberal or a conservative, you could probably agree Trump has not. Trump's election has not helped the U.S. Uh, chances to get the 2026 World Cup just based on global perception. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm not making a political commentary here. I'm just tell, giving you some reality yep. from how it's being viewed abroad. So maybe maybe Martino addressed that in, in that political portion of the pod. Uh, yeah. and, and I have to say, Sunil Gulati's entire legacy, he is hitched to getting the World Cup back to the United States. Uh, he's done a lot of good things for U.S. soccer, a lot of bad things, too. But yep. uh, there are some very good things he's done. But his entire legacy of 30 years in this sport and uh, 12 years uh, or more, if, if, he, if he goes again, as U.S. soccer president, uh, is, is effectively hitched to that. And um, he's still smarting, as I think a lot of people in the political class are smarting from not getting the 2022 World Cup here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's a big topic, Kartik, and, and especially with um, 
2026 and, and also kind of everything that's happening in terms of uh, immigration and um, foreign policy. That, that, that's a big one. So, so th let's move on from that one, Kartik, because I don't want to get into politics. Um, so before we move to segment two, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, SeatGeek, for making this show possible. Uh, buying tickets online for, for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. And uh, if you're like me and you're kind of looking ahead to some of these, uh, whether it's International Champions Cup coming this summer, uh, Gold Cup, uh, etc., probably a whole bunch of international friendlies on top of that too, I'm sure. Um, one of the places to go to is SeatGeek. Uh, and for listeners to the World Soccer Talk podcast, I've got an opportunity for you to get, to get a $20 rebate. Now, the SeatGeek, uh, SeatGeek uh, app is on the phone. So if you want to, you can download it for iTunes or Android. And uh, everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports fans. Uh, it does a price comparison for you by searching the multiple ticket sites and then ensuring that you get the best deal possible. Uh, it does all the work for you and saves you time and money. And then um, also it, uh, it grades uh, each of the seats based on value. So you'll, you'll immediately see which are the underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Now, so best of all for listeners uh, to this podcast, you get a $20 rebate uh, off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, uh, go ahead and download the SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and then click add a promo code. Enter promo code WSTPOD and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Now, can't take on to segment two and that's our TV streaming news. Uh, the big news coming out this week is YouTube TV. So it's a brand... We, we've been talking about this for a few months in terms of we, we knew that something was coming and uh, they had the press conference this week in Los Angeles. So here's what we know so far for um, soccer fans. So it's going to launch in the next few months and initially will be available in uh, the largest cities in the U.S. So it's not going to be nationwide. It's going to be select cities nationwide. What it does include for soccer fans, it includes, um, well, it includes over-the-air channels, which is a big deal, and that's Fox, ABC, CBS, uh, NBC. And um, with that, though, for soccer fans, so the ones you really want to care about, really, is, would be Fox over-the-air, NBC over-the-air. It also includes NBCSN, FS1, FS2, Fox Soccer Plus as an add-on channel, uh, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3, and then you've got your Telemundos, uh, Comcast Sports Network, USA, uh, NBC uh, Universo, CNBC, and unlimited DVR recordings, and uh, which is a big deal. And that's going to be $35 a month. That doesn't include the Fox Soccer Plus. We don't know that what the price is going to be on that. But it's a pretty attractive uh, offering out of the gate, um, what it doesn't include so far is uh, Turner Sports, and we'll be getting more into that in a little bit. Uh, be in Sports, Be in Sports and uh, Espanol, Be in Sports Connect, Fox Sports Net, Univision, Univision Deportes, Unamas, and Lifetime. So, bottom line is it could be a, an attractive proposition to some soccer fans, um, but it's missing a, a lot of the key soccer related channels for the hardcore soccer fans. Uh, especially fans of uh, La Liga and Liga MX. And uh, the big question, too, is really kind of, you I mean, what's the rollout of this going to be? If it's going to be just the U.S. largest cities in the beginning, um, what does that mean then for those of us who are outside those largest cities, such as myself and many of, the, of you, the listeners? 
So my thinking is probably those over-the-air channels probably won't be available, and then you've got uh, an offering that's pretty decent um, for the $35 a month. But the big, to me at least, the most appealing factor is the unlimited DVR recordings, which that's a huge plus. Um, but, so we'll have to wait and see. Well, I'm sure there'll be more news coming out in the, the next couple of months um, as they get ready to launch it. But uh, Kartik, any, any first impressions in terms of um, what you've heard so far about that? I have not heard uh, anything about the product itself other than some excitement for cord cutters that they can legally get these channels via YouTube, a service that they're, they're used to using anyway. And, and I think it just continues. This is a way of uh, potentially between Slaying and Fubo and, and YouTube TV and other services, DirecTV Now, uh, a way of, um, uh, of stopping the bleeding uh, for, of the loss of cable subscribers for the cable channels. And you wonder if uh, these things continue to be successful if cable companies themselves who are losing subscribers, Comcast, uh, AT&T's cable service, which is now kind of, U-verse is kind of being folded into DirecTV, uh, Verizon, Fios, et cetera, go ahead and advocate for a la carte cable. Now, if they advocate for a la carte cable eventually, where people can pick and choose their channels, which will then undercut maybe uh, some of Sling and Fubo and, and YouTube TV's appeal. What does that do to ESPN, which gets twenty times the amount per cable subscription that uh, that that uh, AMC probably gets, right? Mm. Um, and their ability to bid for major sporting properties. So um, a lot, a lot going on here. I think the industry is very dynamic, and, and the situation is very fluid. Yeah, and it's one of those things, though, too, that it is a lot of still the TV companies or these media companies that are in control. So they're the ones that are negotiating with YouTubes and the Sling TVs of the world and uh, et cetera, uh, Sony, et cetera. But oftentimes it's okay, like, all right, ESPN will say, okay, ESPN, you can have ESPN, but with that you have to take ESPN2, you have to take ESPN3. Same thing with Fox, too. Fox will say, okay, well, you have to take FS1, FS2, Fox Soccer Plus, Etc. This one's a little bit different in that it's more of a skinny bundle. It's not as inflated as some as, as a Sling or a, a PlayStation View where you get just a ton of channels. Most of ones you probably don't watch. So at least with this one, it's skinnier where you can pick and choose. Well, you, you can't even pick and choose. You get those channels through YouTube. Now, as far as add-on, uh, I believe Showtime is going to be one that you can add on. Fox Soccer Plus, I mentioned that before too. I don't believe HBO is part of this. But I think we're still at a point, Kartik, where there's no perfect streaming solution yet because I think the perfect streaming solution is you have a, a checklist and say, okay, I want these channels and I'm willing to, you know, this is what the price is. Right now it's, okay, basically you take packages. Okay, you package one, two, or three, whatever the case may be, and then you pick and choose the one that's the best fit, fit for you. Still there's going to be channels that you're not going to be interested in that you're paying for. Um, so we're not there yet, and I think it's going to take quite some time before we get there. But this is the first step. This is kind of giving people the opportunity to watch stuff legally that's cheaper than cable, cheaper than, than satellite, and still ensures that uh, these big media companies get, get a ton of money uh, at the end of the day. So, so Kant, again, any other news out there in, uh, in the uh, media space? Yeah, a lot, a lot this week. So... 
Uh, we've talked about AT&T, Time Warner potential merger. AT&T has agreed to buy Time Warner for $85.4 billion. Let's first see if regulators approve this before we get too excited. I think there's going to be a lot of questions asked about this sort of consolidation in the industry, continued consolidation in the industry. Um, Turner Sports, uh, who we're going to talk about later in the show, is owned by Tom, Time Warner. And AT&T, of course, bought DirecTV two years ago. DirecTV at one time had the spillover rights or the, the, the rights to games that Fox was not showing on their channels. This was before FS1 and FS2 launched. To, to, to air those uh, UEFA Champions League and UEFA Europa League games on, uh, direct t- on DirecTV, on spillover channels on DirecTV, which makes me wonder if you're going to see something similar happen uh, with uh, Turner, where they're going to use DirecTV, if, if this merger is approved, as an outlet to show if, if you've got uh, eight, eight uh, ma- matches on a given day during the group stage, they can only show one on TBS and one on TNT. Let's say, for instance, the other six games are available streaming, but they're also available uh, on uh, on these spillover channels on DirecTV. Or did they even use the, maybe use the DirecTV Now service to um, to promote that? That's uh, that's another question. Uh, maybe that's where they go. So uh, if these two huge media uh, companies are uh, approved the merger, then. Uh, uh, we might be having that conversation. I want to caution our listeners. AT&T attempted to buy T-Mobile's uh, U.S. division. Uh, T-Mobile, T is, of course, a uh, German company. But the U.S. division in 2011, the Justice Department blocked that merger. Mm-hmm. So, but they have not blocked AT&T's other consolidation uh, consolidation of the industry, the, the uh, direct TV purchase, the uh, uh, purchase of Pac Bell. Uh, all of those things have been approved in the past. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, we're in, a, we're in a regulatory environment where perhaps this will be approved. But it is possible this deal gets rejected. So don't, uh, don't jump ahead of ourselves with it just yet. Right. Yeah. Looks like there might be some changes coming up in terms of at least uh, uh, cable subscriptions and uh, satellite subscriptions, et cetera, in terms of uh, product offerings. Perhaps. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, also com- coming up this weekend, uh, Behind the Badge returns to the, the um, to NBCSN on uh, with the Premier League, and the next series that's coming up that starts this weekend is going to be West Bromwich Albion. Which, uh, by saying that, Kartik, I probably like half of the listeners probably tuned out with that kind of thing, like, oh god, West Brom, who's interested in West Brom? But I saw a, cl- a clip of this, just a, like a two-minute clip of the show, and uh, so far, at least, uh, center stage is Tony Pulis. And you kind of get, um, I think this is going to be a really interesting uh, series, Kartik, because it looks like it's going to really kind of uh, help us understand what makes Tony Pulis uh, tick. Now, of, co- of course, there's a lot of critics of Tony Pulis, but you have to look at his coaching uh, kind of um, career and look at h- him as a success. I mean, at the clubs that he's gone to, he's been able to kind of uh, push up. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch this one. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting, and I think uh, you'll get a real insight into into the mind of Tony Pulis. So I, that that gives me a uh, uh, gives me an incentive to watch. And the behind the badges are great anyway, so I'm I'm almost certain to watch it anyway. Right. Uh, this week also we have the Sheep Leaps Cup here in the United States, which is a annual now annual women's soccer tournament that features Germany, United States, France, 
and England. Uh, the non-U.S. games are on Fox Sports Go, which included yesterday's England-France game. And uh, this su- Saturday, England versus the United States is on Fox Sports, uh, or excuse me, on Fox, Big Fox, uh, over-the-air Fox, on your local Fox affiliate, uh, provided they don't preempt it the way some Fox channels do. I'm very familiar with that, mm-hmm. with soccer games being preempted on local Fox affiliates. And then uh, FS1 will have the United States and France next week. And France is a team that has generally played well against the United States historically. So that, that will be uh, an interesting match. So that's, uh, that's the She Believes Cup uh, on TV. And uh, MLS season starts this week. Chris, you've got some news about that. Yeah, uh, Fox Sports has hired a new uh, MLS sideline reporter. Uh, Julie Stewart-Binks uh, is over at ESPN now and makes her debut uh, for the MLS coverage on ESPN this weekend, but they've hired uh, someone by the name of Katie Witham. Uh, I'm not familiar with her, Kartik. Um, I'm not sure if you are, but uh, but she starts with Fox this weekend. I am. She did Columbus Crew games for a number of years, and uh, it seems to be one of these people who was in sports journalism. Uh, she did Cleveland Indians games and uh, some other Cleveland team, maybe the Cavaliers also. Uh, games also for their local Fox, uh, Fox Sports Ohio. Uh, but she seems very well-versed in soccer, was one of the more knowledgeable soccer sideline reporters slash uh, co-commentators uh, doing MLS games. So this is, this is a good hire, and I think this is a, 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 a sign, again, that Fox wants somebody who understands the sport and is going to do their research and do their work entering a game on the sideline. Losing uh, JSP is, I think, a pretty big blow uh, to Fox. Uh, she goes to ESPN and at a time where ESPN is losing rights. So that's a, that's a whole other issue. But uh, I, she certainly upgrades ESPN's MLS coverage, in my opinion. And that was a big loss for Fox. Uh, big shoes to fill, but I think this is a, a good hire. One of the uh, one of our listeners, uh, Rico Richardson, uh, posted uh, tweeted something this morning, Kartik, and said, uh, sadly disappointed there is no serious buildup towards this MLS season. Uh, Kartik, on, on your side, what if you, what's your sense in terms of kind of on a scale of 0 to 10 with 10 being off the charts in terms of whether it's people you've spoken to or just kind of the vibe or feeling in terms of the interest or hype uh, going into this 2017 season? What have you seen? Uh, I mean, outside of Minnesota now, I, I'm, I'm a little skewed because I talked to a lot of Minnesota fans. That was my, those are my relationships from NASL and from having worked for the league and Minnesota was a team we owned and then they found an owner and that owner took up to MLS, which was great. Uh, there's a lot of excitement personally and from people I talked to about Minnesota entering MLS. Now, outside of that, uh, Orlando's new stadium, but, uh, you know, it's kind of ho-hum. I mean, I have to be honest. I, I don't think uh, – I'm sensing a lot of enthusiasm among fans in, in the big cities. I don't think um, Red Bull fans are, tip- are terribly excited. Uh, they, they should have a good team, but the departure of Ali Curtis, the departure of Dax McCarty – uh, has hurt them. Uh, Galaxy fans are not excited about the season. It's it's a rebuild. Uh, they brought in Jermaine Jones. They've kept Van Dam and they've kept Ashley Cole. So they're they should be solid at the back under Kurt Adolfo, But the all the attacking talent is gone. Uh, Gio DeSantos. So uh, there's not much excitement there. That that's a linchpin team. I don't think uh, there's as much excitement in Dallas because Mauro Diaz is injured, and they've tried to sign around that. But who knows if they'll be as good. Uh, Seattle, I, I, I sense there's some contentment because they won the won the title. Um, I, I'm not sensing the energy and enthusiasm that there have been around, around previous MLS seasons. Now, ESPN and Fox are trying to drum this up. 
they are advertising more going into MLS season than I have seen in a long time. So this week on ESPN's college basketball telecast, now I don't really watch a, a lot of college basketball that isn't the ACC, but I watch the ACC religiously, um, as our former co-host Morgan Green can attest to, and I know he does as well because he's from the Mid-Atlantic States. So I watched um, uh, three games Saturday and Monday, Georgia Tech-Syracuse, uh, sorry, Louisville-Syracuse, um, uh, and then, um, well, sorry, four games, uh, Florida State-Duke, Miami, um, Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia, North Carolina, and Georgia Tech-Pitt. That's actually five games. MLS was advertised during every single one of those games, uh, both in terms of an ad being run for the league, which included the Fox broadcast, by the way, and, and gave all three, um, the, the one ESPN, which is Orlando, New York City, and then the two Fox broadcasts for this weekend. Um, those ads were run, and there were promos in-game that the announcers had to read, saying, coming up this weekend on ESPN, uh, 5 o'clock Sunday, Orlando City hosts New York City FC. Now, whether the announcers were enthusiastic about it or not, that's a whole other issue, but they're pushing MLS, and they're pushing it hard, ESPN, yep. harder than I remember. So uh, hopefully that reflects in ratings, and I think maybe that's, that's it's part of being in year three of a contract. Maybe it's part of not having the other soccer properties to promote anymore, or it also might be a realization that there just isn't very much enthusiasm entering this season. Uh, maybe it's all that stuff. Yeah, but they are promoting MLS more than I've seen. I think uh, ho-hum is probably a good way to describe it. It's, it's same for me from here, Kartik, in terms of I'm, I'm interested in Minnesota. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Atlanta United. Uh, I'm going to go up to Orlando City's uh, new stadium probably in July to go see that, to go see a game, like a Friday night game. I'm looking forward to those things personally. Um, but it's been, like, for me here... It's been 16 years, Kartik, since we've had an MLS team in my area. So uh, there's no local team. So it's hard. Now, if I live in Portland or Seattle or, I mean, uh, Kansas City, it's a different story. I'm going to feel that vibe. I'm going to feel that energy and excitement. But, but I'm not even sure. Look, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Orlando. I'm not going to their opener this year. I've gone the last two years. But I'll be in that stadium sooner or later. It might be for the NWSL opener. But uh, I have to say... There's a lot of energy in Orlando about the team. There's a lot of energy in Orlando about the stadium. There is not that much interest in the league beyond their own team. Right, and right. Uh, the Orlando fans, and I don't know if this, this is the case in other MLS cities, but the Orlando fans almost were like, yeah, you know, we really don't like this league and all the stupid rules and uh, no promotion and relegation. Because, of course, they're a team that came up from the lower division and had to buy their way in. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the process of buying their way into MLS – a lot of those hardcore Orlando City fans feel they've sold their soul. They still support their club. They still love their city. But they don't, they don't feel the same way about the club's identity that they did three years ago uh, when they were still in USL three seasons ago. So they uh, – or four seasons ago. They, um, they are people who watch the Premier League and watch La Liga and watch uh, maybe some Liga MX. And then the M only MLS they watch is their team. And I, and I think that that's the case in a lot of places. I don't know for a fact that it is. But I think that's the case in a lot of places. And that just dampens the enthusiasm for the league. Because an Orlando fan will be looking at these ads saying, yeah, 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 well, I'll be at the stadium or I'll be watching against NYCFC. Uh, who cares about Minnesota-Portland? Who cares about right. uh, the other games that are being shown? Yep. That, that's the attitude. And I think MLS has not created the kind of national relevance that they had hoped they would. Now, part of their strategy has been to sign, bring U.S. national team players back from Europe. And uh, but that doesn't seem to be doing it either. Uh, and, and quite frankly, the United States national team is 
at its worst point in about 25 or 30 years in terms of just the, the, the top talent among the, the first 11, in spite of what Landon Donovan might say. I, I don't know. I can't believe he thinks that we have more talent now than we did in, in 2002 or 2005, yeah. <laughs> even like 99 or 2000 when he was bre- first breaking in. But um, I think that there's very little enthusiasm among general soccer fans to watch U.S. men's national team players at this point. And there's also an assumption, even among those who follow MLS, again, referencing the people I know, the many fans I know in Orlando, who are Ruckus or ILF members, that, you know, if if they're in MLS and they're a U.S. men's national team player, they really can't be that good. Now, maybe that's the wrong stereotype, maybe that's the wrong attitude, but it's a reality that MLS and U.S. soccer have to deal with and understand. And, and, and try and work around if they're going to get their television ratings up this season. I completely agree, Kartik, on, on all those points. And, and I will add just one more thing before we move on to the next segment. And that is that the uh, opening game of the MLS season is Friday night. So there's another challenge. you you got a game on FS1 on a Friday night where it's not that's the slowest night of the week for, for uh, broadcasts. So that's the challenge that they're going to have. We've got, uh, well, got Portland against Minnesota. That should be a good game. I, I'm looking forward to watching it, but TV ratings-wise, right off the start, that's going to be a tough, tough uh, obstacle to try to get big numbers for that one to get a boost from that opening weekend. But um, I'm sure we'll be talking about those numbers next week on next week's show. But uh, Well, this is, this is an issue having... It's a 9.30 Eastern time start yeah. time, and, and I, I'm finding that there is an issue with even the U.S. game in Chattanooga against Jamaica. If you are starting games... Uh, by the way, what's the early Premier League start on Saturday morning? But if you're starting games, uh, but which who is it? I mean, who's playing? Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> last time it was Arsenal versus Chelsea that were playing at 7.30 in the morning the day after a U.S.-Jamaica game, and we saw the U.S.-Jamaica ratings weren't as high as we thought they'd be. And some people said, oh, it's because it's FS1, oh, it's, a, it's, a January, it's, a Feb, it's an early February non-FIFA day friendly. That, all that played into it. Yeah, but, you got Man, um, Man United against Bournemouth. So, I mean, Man United, so that, that right there, 7.30. On yeah, Saturday. yeah. So that's going to affect the rating. And that's something that um, MLS has to be aware of. There's also this challenge this season. We'll, we'll save this for another show, a, a full discussion of MLS TV ratings. But there is going to be the challenge, which Jonathan Tannenwald and Michael Lewis and others have pointed out, and I've pointed out as well, of NWSL on Lifetime coming up against MLS games on, uh, on ESPN. And there might be, at the same time slot, there is such a small niche audience for, U- for MLS and U.S. soccer products. Even if they lose 50,000 to the NWSL game, that affects the rating. That affects the, the takeaway. So I think... That's another challenge, but we'll get into that as the season progresses. And NWSL doesn't kick off for another month and a half, so maybe we'll have that discussion then. All right, Kartik, let's move on to the segment three. I'm going to quickly go through these. Uh, we don't have all the numbers from this past weekend uh, or this past week for TV ratings, but we will be reporting all of the, the numbers uh, from the TV ratings on worldsoccertalk.com uh, on Friday, which will include the big uh, Liga MX numbers. Um, plus, we'll be reporting, of course, the MLS numbers next week too on, on the website. But um, Saturday morning, the, the game you mentioned earlier on in the broadcast, Kartik, the Bayern Munich against Hamburg game on FS2, uh, 35,000 viewers. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty sad number, unfortunately, but it's a 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. Eastern kickoff. Uh, as a comparison, the rugby match between Saracens and Sale on Saturday, um, of course, it was later in, in the day. It was 12.30 to, to 2.30 
um, on NBCSN, but that one had 75,000 uh, viewers. So um, almost, almost double, actually more than double the number of viewers for a, a rugby game. So other games, actually another poor number from Saturday was 67,000 on CNBC for Crystal Palace against Middlesbrough. And that was from the, the 10 a.m. to noon one. Um, I'm surprised, actually, that the um, NBC actually decided to show that match on that one just because Palace has been so poor this season um, and Borough have been scoring so few goals. Uh, well, well, while the, the game was of huge consequence so far in terms of the relegation battle, uh, it doesn't do much for, for TV viewers. But at the same time, too, there was the Chelsea-Swansea game uh, on NBCSN, and that one had uh, 422,000 viewers, which is uh, pretty pretty good for a... Saturday morning uh, game there too. Now, Kartik, moving on to segment four, which is a listener mailbag. Uh, we've got uh, one question or comment from Twitter, one from Facebook, and one from email. So the one from Twitter, Kartik, was um, Caleb Napton, and uh, this is what this is one that's probably going to, we're going to get into a little bit in more detail later. But he says, "Does Turner have an app good enough to make this work?" Uh, basically, the U, uh, UEFA Champions League. That has game re-airings, multiple games, uh, especially with all no all no sports channel. So I, I think he's saying that's because they don't have a exclusive twenty four seven sports channel. Do they, do they have an app that's good enough to to make the the Champions League work? They don't right now, but they, they may do what they've done for the NCAA tournament. We'll talk about this in our feature topic of the week, uh, and they might just stream games through uh, a an app. Now, they have experience doing that. I, I want to point out there's this narrative that Turner hasn't covered soccer in 27 years. That's not true. Uh, they actually were involved in helping USL with their streaming product. I don't know that anyone that uh, was, was worked at USL at the time still, uh, is still there in the Tampa offices. But uh, 2007 and 2008, they had set up a streaming product which, went, which worked through USL wide. Now, it wasn't an app. We didn't have smartphones. Or smartphones were just starting out then. But it was uh, a streaming product online, which I think now would be an app. Yeah. As when they got the NCAA tournament rights in 2011, you saw Mega March Madness launch as an app every year that has a superior streaming product uh, and, and, and a superior streaming experience. So I, I think they might launch some sort of U.S.-oriented or U.S.-based with a geoblock somehow uh, uh, UEFA Champions League app, perhaps. So... Um, but they do not have their own. No, they don't have their own TBS Sports app. Uh, they also uh, run NBA TV, and it's run out of their studios in Atlanta, and that uh, has a streaming component. So we'll, we'll get all to that. We'll get to all of that in, right. in the next segment. Robert Hay Jr. Uh, on Facebook asks, uh, "Does this mean that Ernie Johnson gets the studio show?" What do you think, Kartik? I think it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I think it would be kind of cool to see Craig Sager do some soccer. Uh, he just passed away, unfortunately. Uh, sports broadcasting legend, uh, Turner sports legend, uh, going back to, I want to say he went back to doing Braves games in the late 70s. Uh, it would be kind of cool if Ernie Johnson Jr. did, uh, did some soccer games. I'm not sure uh, if, if, if he will. I, I think he's the kind of guy that will prepare so well that you won't, uh, it won't be like the, uh, necessarily the Gus Johnson experience or the experience of ESPN throwing in. And let's not forget ESPN was the one that, that – uh, Push this, this American sports voices in soccer before Fox did, pushing, uh, pushing people on us when, at the same time when Fox had uh, guys like Christian Miles and Max Bredos who were soccer fans who were very comfortable with soccer uh, doing their broadcasts 
Nick Webster, et cetera, we had uh, ESPN pushing Dave O'Brien on us and, and others. Uh, I think Ernie Johnson is such a pro that uh, he might be okay, but I, I'm thinking they'll hire a soccer person. Uh, who knows who that'll be? Uh, uh, I would love for it to be John Strong, but then that would take him off of MLS broadcast on Fox unless they can work some sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, and actually at worldsoccertalk.com, we've got our uh, well, my suggestions of uh, who the talent is that uh, that uh, Turner Sports should hire for for the Champions League, uh, which goes through the studio hosts, uh, the commentators, and the studio analysts, and we're getting a lot of great discussion, a lot of debate about uh, those names and uh, kind of pros and cons, and also as well as some other suggestions. So. So keep on giving us uh, that feedback. Speaking of feedback, uh, one last question, Kartik. This is from uh, Dave Brunk, uh, one of our listeners who came in through uh, this came in through email, and he talks about uh, last week's topic, which is talking about which soccer leagues in the U.S. are the most ac- accessible on U.S. TV. And he says, uh, for me, having Direct TV, uh, the Premier League is the easiest. Then it's the Bundesliga. Then he says, I'm not, then I'm not sure. He says, I agree, MLS seems very difficult. He says, living in Houston and having our regional root sports, it's confusing at best. And we've heard that too from, uh, from other listeners too, where they've, uh, the challenges of regional channels and uh, blackouts and, and, uh, and, and so on there too. All right, Kartik, that last segment of the show is our featured topic of the week, and this is uh, the one that uh, probably most of our listeners will be most interested in, especially given that um, we talked about this last week uh, on this show. We talked about the latest news, and we, re- we revealed that Turner Sports was one of the names uh, in there. And, um, and actually, going back to Robert Hay, his question on, on Facebook he sent in, he said, Kartik, he says, Kartik Krishnaya nailed the Turner Sports news on the last podcast. Uh, which is true, Kartik. You definitely were definitely, I think, uh, more open and thinking that this, uh, that could possibly happen. Uh, on my side, I didn't think that they would be uh, willing to spend the money that they were go- going to need to spend to get it. Um, but uh, but still, so we broke the news on Friday. We had the exclusive on the WorldSoccerTalk.com uh, website, uh, and basically social media and the website went crazy in terms of uh, traffic and comments in terms of people with, with feedback. So people had, people were shocked. People were saddened. People were, were uh, um, uh, jubilant. I mean, it was all sorts of different types of emotions, but what I want to talk about on this segment, Kartik is uh, what this means for soccer fans. And uh, maybe to start off with too, because like for people like myself, uh, and, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other listeners too. There are kind of hardcore soccer fans that uh, may not be that familiar with Turner Sports, may not be watching uh, TNT or some of the other uh, Turner Sports um, broadcasts. From your experience, kind of watching whether it's uh, college basketball or other sports, um, what can we as, as soccer fans um, expect based on what you've seen on other sports uh, properties that they've shown? Yeah, so first off, I don't watch the NBA and I don't watch Major League Baseball, so I can't comment on Turner's coverage of those uh, those leagues, although I'm told their NBA coverage. When I used to watch the NBA in the uh, early 2000s, they were very good. I thought they were better than ESPN at that point in time. Now, who knows the situation now, but they uh, because they, the rights are split, uh, they're uh, the NBA splits their rights, cable rights, between ESPN and uh, Turner. Actually, so does Major League Baseball then. So uh, I, don't, I can't comment on their baseball coverage. 
but their NBA coverage has historically been very good. And the, the feeling among a lot of people in the business is the NBA is the league it is today because of the way Turner has covered the league. And that's why it's a strong, I don't know, would you, I guess it's a strong second to the NFL uh, in terms of uh, professional sports league. I think it's stronger than Major League Baseball and certainly stronger than the NHL or, or Major League Soccer in terms of pro sports leagues. Um, when Turner got the rights to the NCAA tournament in 2011, I, I was initially very skeptical. Uh, CBS had covered the, the tournament, uh, the entire tournament from start to finish since 1990. Uh, they had actually covered the bulk of the tournament since 1982. ESPN had had the first two, had had parts of the first round and parts of the Sweet 16 from 82 to, to 89. Uh, uh, and just because there were weekday telecasts that, that they that they bumped ESPN. But for 20 plus years, it had been just on CBS, including those weekday, midday games, basketball games. CBS has one channel, had one channel at the time, right? They're over the air channel. And they would essentially be forced to, um, to show one game when there would be three or four games going on at once in the NCAA tournament, uh, in those early rounds. Now, uh, the, when the Iraq war started in 2003, they made a, a short-term deal with ESPN to bump some games to ESPN just for those for that week because the Iraq War started the same week the NCAA tournament started in 2003 and CBS had to show 24/7 news. But um, other than that, they had covered the the, the the tournament exclusively for 20-something years. Turner came into the um, the contract having either not covered college basketball ever or maybe they had covered college basketball in the early 80s and I had I wasn't aware of it. But ever since I began a following college basketball very closely uh, in the late 1980s. Turner had never broadcast a game, a single game on any of their networks, uh, college basketball games. So I was thinking, gosh, this is ridiculous. I mean, how can, how can they cover this sport they know nothing about? And I'll admit, you're, you're one, NCAA tournament won the 2011 tournament. There were some hiccups because um, they, um, they were using NBA people and NBA crews on, on games, and they, it, it was obvious that they had just done some quick-fire research on, uh, on college basketball and really didn't know the personalities and players, et cetera. But uh, by 2012, they, were, they, they had really found their, their niche with it, and that included the NBA guys that had been assigned to it, and, and they had began mixing in crews from CBS and people from CBS and, and uh, giving really kind of outstanding studio analysis, which is what I think Turner is best known for uh, with their NBA coverage. And their streaming product was far superior to anything we had gotten from, uh, uh, from CBS in the past. I mean, it, it, was, uh, it, it was easy ease of access, ease of watch, uh, and uh, I think probably redefined how you could show live sports in the smartphone era. The, uh, the Turner Sports streaming uh, Mega March Madness. So that, those are the things that I look for now going into the Champions League. They don't cover any other soccer leagues. They haven't covered soccer in a long time. The last time they've had their own talent cover soccer was 2001 to 2003 with the WUSA, a league that Turner invested heavily in and uh, went belly up. That was a women's league, by the way. So they haven't covered men's soccer since the 90 World Cup. They haven't covered U.S. soccer since uh, 2003. And... Um, I, I think, though, that they will probably now, with, with a, a long run-up to this, uh, do a really good job in the studio. And I have to think, even though they don't have a dedicated streaming product, and that came up uh, in, in the question that Caleb sent us uh, in the last segment, 
that they will create an app for smartphones, which uh, may be just a dedicated Champions League on Turner app where you get everything. You get eight games. And then there's also the factor of the direct TV uh, aspect, the AT&T merger with uh, Time Warner, if that's approved, how they can use the AT&T bandwidth to distribute these games. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible, and we've talked a little bit about this uh, in the show, but it's quite possible that this might be a purely over-the-top streaming pay service where TV's not involved. And it could be that, you mean, Turner Sports is looking at the Champions League saying, okay, all right, great, we've got the Champions League rights. Now we're going to offer this uh, via kind of over-the-top streaming pay service instead of television, where if you want to watch Champions League, you have to pay, I don't know, $25 a month, uh, and that's the only way you can access it. Hopefully they don't go that route. You mean because this is a huge opportunity to to make the Champions League more accessible to mainstream soccer fans. I mean Turner Sports. I mean ch- channels like like TBS and TNT for many people are on uh, basic cable packages, and and it gives an opportunity for I think for soccer to kind of really kind of enter more of the mainstream and make it more accessible for soccer fans to be able to watch these games instead of on your FS1. And then you got, well, that's okay, but FS2, not everyone gets. Fox Soccer Plus, I mean, it's still a challenge. I mean, I still can't get it on my Comcast. I have to get it through Fubo. So, so there's definitely some plays here that, that are going to be, I mean, what does it mean for soccer fans? It means that there's going to be changes. Um, soccer probably might become more mainstream because of, because of Turner's involvement. Uh, but there's going to be probably, hopefully, some more opportunities, hopefully, to make it more accessible. But at the same time, it actually could be the opposite, where it could actually be a paid service, and that's the only way you can watch it is by paying X amount of dollars per month, and, and that's it. Yeah, um, I, I, would, uh, I, I would say um, it's also important to note that Turner does not show football currently. They don't show uh, college football. They don't show the NBA. And I, I think they might be more dedicated. Uh, American football we're talking about. They're, they're, they... Um, might be more dedicated to promoting soccer coverage than the other networks that do show uh, football, Fox and, um, and ESPN. Now, NBC has the Sunday night NFL package and Notre Dame football, and so it hasn't really conflicted, but I still think it's not the top priority at that network. Now, the NBA will always be the top priority return, uh, and rightfully so. I think they've been, they've been great partners now for almost 30 years or for more than 30 years, excuse me, uh, they've been great partners, Turner and the NBA. But the NBA audience, at least from my experience, there's more crossover with European soccer fans than there is with the NFL audience. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and with the college football audience, it's, it's demographics, it's age, it's that sort of thing. And I think Turner probably realizes with their audience being that demographic that, that likes basketball. That's why they went after the NCAA basketball rights, too. That's why they went after the NCAA tournament. That soccer fits a niche. I think hockey might fit a niche with them, too, but NBC's not letting go of that. So uh, I think demographically, they're more in tune with the kind of audience that watches soccer than ESPN and Fox, or maybe not NBC, but uh, ESPN and Fox. So they probably will promote it differently. And I think that's going to be positive for American soccer fans. I can't stress to you how important it is to have games on a network that doesn't show college football constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's both Fox and Fox more recently, but ESPN forever, which is why people say would say, well, why couldn't ESPN ever make the commitment to show the Premier League or show La Liga when they had La Liga rights? 
that um, that they uh, uh, that 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 they did. Why did they ever make that that, that commitment that NBC has now made to uh, the Premier League and, and that BN has made to La Liga? And it's simply put, you you run up against college football uh, pregame shows at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Yep. You run up against college football games now, even starting at 11 a.m. on some Saturdays. You know, always at noon. So and Fox has run up against that too, which is why we went from having. Uh, games at 12:30 on Saturdays on Fox Soccer, uh, Fox Soccer Channel, with a distribution of about 38 million people, to having games the next year on NBC over the air with a distribution of about 120 million people, because you just have to be on a network which doesn't show college football. And um, yes, the Champions League is a midweek property, so it's a little different, but it's also the promotion and priority of it. And I think Turner will give it a, a higher emphasis in their family of sports properties and Fox did I, and then ESPN did. I, that's indisputable. That's not a shot at Fox or ESPN. They just, they don't have football and football is the driver of so much of the sports audience in this country. Right, right. American football. So, so I, I mean, to me, I actually, I almost like taking a step back, Kartik, I think for me, for, for, for soccer in the United States, this is a big deal. Just, just, you mean, whether it's Champions League, Major League Soccer, you name it, it's a big deal because this is a major media company that's investing in soccer TV rights. And, that, and that, that's another player. I mean, you've got your Foxes, your NBCs, your ESPNs. Now you have Turner Sports. And as we mentioned in the news segment, uh, Turner Sports is owned by Time Warner. And it looks like that uh, AT&T is trying to uh, acquire Time Warner for $85 billion. So here's another large-scale media company that, that's uh, not just dipping its toe, but it's diving into, into uh, soccer big time. At the same time, I've heard some murmurings, too, that Turner Sports is also trying to acquire some other soccer rights. So it's quite possible that Turner Sports could become quite a player in a, basically an already fragmented world of soccer on US TV where we have access. I mean, well, we have to have BN Sports, Univision, Fox, NBC, ESPN, Gold TV, Azteca, etc. And Turner Sports might be another one on top of that, too, if we want to be able to watch kind of you mean a large sampling of some of the best of, of world soccer, but uh, this is a big deal. This is a real big, big, deal, big deal, not just for the UEFA or the Champions League, but, but for soccer in this country. And I should also point out for people who, who tend to travel a lot and are stuck in hotel rooms uh, during major soccer matches, this is part of the reason why I've advocated NBC keeping a game on either CNBC or USA Network, because NBCSN is not in most hotels, right? Right. Uh, and uh, you will see the NBC over the air game, but you won't see those games on NBCSN. Uh, you, you won't see Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 are not in most hotel rooms. If you're traveling during a Champions League week, if they show the games on TNT and TBS, and we don't know that, but we have to assume they will based on the amount of money they're spending for this package. Uh, those, those channels are always on. Uh, if you get 20 channels in a hotel you're staying in, usually TNT and TBS are two of the 20. So that's, uh, I think that's pretty good as far as accessibility. I think it makes the product a heck of a lot more accessible. Uh, and, and again, I mean, this is, uh, this is an unfortunate thing because Fox is now four years into the, uh, into the FS1, FS2 era. It, there are a lot of people who have FS1 that don't realize they have FS1 or don't know what channel it is on their cable system. Even more that don't know if they have FS2 and don't know what channel it is. Right. Uh, TBS and TNT are recognized brands or established channels. Uh, it's much easier if you are uh, going to, let's say, a friend's house or a family member who doesn't, who isn't into soccer and, and doesn't watch this stuff. 
to say, hey, the game is on TNT. And they'll, oh, yeah, 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 they'll turn it on. For you to say, hey, the game's on FS1, what channel is that? And generally, they won't know. They don't watch Fox Sports 1. Right. Or they don't think of Fox Sports 1 as a, as a prominent channel. And I think it has to do a lot with the age of those channels. And um, that's unfortunate as well. And, and so I think, I think it's just going to make the game more accessible, to be honest with you. And then that's a gateway to, to watching other soccer. So, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what, what Turner does with other rights. I mean, I could very easily see them trying to snag a La Liga rights. Yep. That would make a lot of sense once they have the Champions League. Uh, how that would affect the in who, who seem to have pulled back from bidding on properties that they don't own and, and I think are kind of just in that consolidation phase more than anything as a channel, as a relatively new channel. If the in were to lose one of those leagues, and I think it would be La Liga, I can't see Turner making a bid on, uh, on some random uh, uh, other league. Although one thing I would look out for, Chris, and I'm just going to throw this out here. I've thought about it a lot this week. I'm not sure it'll happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And maybe Fox can put it down. Fox's uh, deal with the Bundesliga is an international deal. It's a five-year deal. Right. Right? Yep. And the U.S. is part of that package. Could Fox in the United States just say, hey, we're done with this league uh, soccer business. We're just covering soccer tournaments and major league soccer, U.S. soccer, at the end of this Champions League contract? That would be after uh, four seasons of the five-year uh, Bundesliga deal and sub-license that last year to Turner to do Bundesliga. Yeah, I, and then I th- Turner just bids on it after that and keeps the rights. I, I, I don't think so, only because of um, with losing the Champions League, that, that really, I mean, for, for fans of European soccer, uh, other than tournaments, other than like the World Cup, um, when, what, fans of European soccer, what are you going to watch on Fox Sports? I mean, what's left? So you've got the FA Cup, which is coming up for um, renewal this year. Um, which they may or may not get, but in, in the big scheme of things, that, that's tiny, really. So, so I think the Bundesliga, if anything, actually becomes more important for Fox because now that's that's their way of trying to cross promote Major League Soccer or, or the World Cup or other broadcasts. I think by losing this midweek, which is a big deal. I mean, just think about it. After June 2018, there is no midweek soccer on FS1 or FS2. So for me, I mean, I'm not the average um, sports fan, but for me, as a hardcore soccer fan, I have no interest in tuning into FS1 or FS2 Monday through Friday. Now, now Friday night through Sunday night, I'll tune in and I'll watch a, a ton of the games, etc. So it's, it's a big issue for Fox Sports. I mean, of, co- of course, they've got the World Cup, um, I mean, through to 2026, so they've got the big tournaments, but... Midweek, there's nothing there. So I, th- I think actually for the Bundesliga, it becomes more important where the numbers are still not good and, and they don't seem to be rising, but at least that's a gateway. At least there's an opportunity to pull in some of the European soccer fans and get them to watch some of the Bundesliga games and then maybe use that as a cross-promotion tool to, to promote their other properties, uh, other soccer rights. But um, yeah, Kartik, I, I don't see that happening, but you never know. It's, it's, it's a strange old world out there. One, one thing I will say, though, Kartik, is uh, ESPN. I mean, what's going on with ESPN with this whole thing? Because we know that they didn't b- bid on the Premier League rights when they came up for um, bidding, like, what, a year or two ago. Um, so they passed on that. And we know that with this round for the UEFA Champions League, they didn't bid either. They had BAMTEC bid, which is their partly owned by Disney, but it's... Uh, uh, the Major League Baseball's digital streaming platform, basically that they kind of uh, is a, is kind of a basically an offshoot of that. 
But yeah, it's an offshoot of MLB.com. Right, right, right. So ESPN, like on two major soccer properties, technically haven't bid uh, on those. They're just taking a pass on that. So, so why it's a worry for Fox with losing the Champions League, I think for ESPN, this is like sending some, I don't know, dangerous messages for, for soccer fans. I mean, what's, what's with I ESPN? I think it's for everything. Look, I, I, don't, I think we cover soccer. I, I check the rights for other things, non-soccer properties. I, I haven't uh, kept up with it. But my understanding is ESPN has spent too much money, uh, overextended itself on college sports rights, on college uh, conference rights. The ECC package, which is a 10-year package. The SEC package, which I believe is a 12-year package. The Pac-12 package, which I believe is 10 or 12 years. And the Pac-12 had, had historically been a, a property that had been on Fox Sports Networks and then had uh, shifted some of their games to Versus uh, and and which is now NBCSN, ESPN did a lot for that and launched the Pac-12 network also. Uh, same thing with the Longhorn network and Big 12 rights, uh, which uh, Big 12 was another uh, uh, thing that had traditionally been the domain of Fox. Now it's split between Fox and ESPN, but ESPN has spent a lot of money on it. And then, of course, uh, the, Big Tw- the Big 10. So um, I-, I think uh, they're overextended. They signed long-term deals. These weren't three-year deals. These weren't five-year deals. These were 10- or 12-year deals. And uh, they launched SEC TV or SEC Network in Atlanta. Uh, that's an ESPN channel. And I think, they, I think college sports has sucked up, and then also the college football playoff, sucked up the rights to where they, they are, uh, are just spoken for for years in, in terms of money at a time when cable subscriptions are diminishing and uh, their profit margins are going away. So I, I, my guess is that they're probably not well-positioned to to do anything but maintain the rights they have currently yep. in other sports. Now, in those other sports, that means they're the dominant broadcaster in college football. They are the uh, dominant broadcaster in regular season college basketball, but we've already pointed out that Turner comes in for the postseason and uh, CBS, which has a lot of regular season, but not nearly what NBC has, or, excuse me, ESPN and Fox have, uh, is the tournament. They're the dominant, uh, they, they have NFL, right, uh, the, the Monday Night Football, and they're the dominant Major League Baseball broadcaster for much of the season, although, of course, Fox uh, gets the bulk of the playoffs and, and Turner gets parts of the playoffs, too. Um, but they're not going to get NHL rights anytime soon, and I don't think they're going to get any other soccer properties beyond um, Major League Soccer. And uh, they are out of, I, I, this is also uh, telling. I actually say that I don't follow the rights for other sports. I, I, I do follow golf and tennis. They are the dominant network. They dominate tennis coverage in the United States. They have everything. Right. Um, in terms of golf, they are basically out of the golf business. They have the first two rounds of the Masters, and that's it. Uh, and the first two rounds of the Masters are broadcast with CBS personnel. Uh, but are shown on ESPN. They are out of the golf business. They don't have any early rounds of tournaments. Those are all on the Golf Channel, which is owned by Comcast and NBC. Uh, they are out of the majors completely. They lo- the last uh, major they had was the Open Championship. They uh, they lost that to um, to um, uh, NBC last year. They used to cover the first two rounds of the U.S. Open. They lost that to FS1 uh, two years ago. So they um, go- golf is a, is a is an indicator that they're also in the same position they're in in soccer. They've lost rights there. I'm not sure who ESPN still has as a as a golf host, and in fact, uh, or who, who covers golf at that network. Mike Tarico was the one guy that they had that was consistently on their golf coverage, and he left. 
as soon as they lost these rights and he had done soccer and they lose some soccer rights. And so he left. Yep. And so I, I think, I think it spreads beyond just soccer actually. But plus ESPN lost uh, 2 million subscribers in 2016. So they've got some, um, some issues yeah, right. to deal with. Um, so for oh, so- it's all related to that. When oh, I yeah. say they're losing golf rights and they're lo- losing soccer rights. I, and it's related to all that loss of subscriptions and also to their long-term Long-term. play yep. to, uh, to, to, to lock down college football so that CBS uh, and NBC and Fox couldn't take rights away from them in college football because college football is, is one of the, bi- is the biggest driver besides the NFL. So in order to lock down everything they locked down in college football, uh, they overextended themselves to block the other networks out, and now the other net- networks can pick and choose and divide up the rest of the sports empire, really. Yeah. So ESPN's got uh, Euro 2020 and uh, the Nations League, which I think goes through to 2022 with their rights. So, so I think by, this, by the look of it, at least, I mean, after 2022, I mean, you might see an exodus of soccer talent from ESPN in terms of, okay, well, well I mean, between now and then, maybe they'll pick up some, up some other rights. But it doesn't look, look that promising. I mean, if I'm working at, if I'm at a Taylor Twelman, I'm thinking, okay, great, Euro 2022. Um, or 2020. I'm looking forward to that. But what comes after that? You know, it doesn't look that pretty uh, right now. The other thing, Kartik, is um, NBC's involvement in this. So, so we know that. Uh, so my sources kind of revealed that um, that uh, Turner Sports uh, is paying 60 million dollars a year for these rights. Uh, Univision's paying 40 million for the uh, Spanish language rights. This is a massive deal for Univision. Well, uh, and, and let's let's touch on that for a second. Univision has never really shown a commitment to showing European football. Yeah. Uh, this is a uh, it's just quite a breakthrough. And does this help promote Major League Soccer? I'm sorry, we have to always come back to this topic, but Univision is a long-term rights holder for MLS. Does this help promote Major League Soccer among Hispanic audiences that will be watching the Champions League on Univision, or does it do the opposite and? and have Univision think, you know, we got the Champions League now. Liga MX is the big driver on our network. Maybe MLS is less of a priority. We're not even going to promote it. I mean, that, that's a question. Yeah, I, th- I think it hurts MLS. I mean, it's another op- opportunity for especially a, a rapidly growing Hispanic population in the United States uh, to watch quality soccer, to make it more accessible. I mean, they're already watching the games anyway, but this makes it, makes, makes it even more accessible. And the more soccer that we have at our fingertips that we can watch through our remotes or streaming devices, um, I think the less relevant MLS becomes because yeah, and you, I don't, you weigh I don't it up side from, by side. I don't, I don't know from a Spanish language perspective uh, how ESPN Deportes is going to keep going when yeah. They, yeah. they are too now losing soccer rights left and right, and that's even more critical uh, on the Spanish language end uh, than, on, uh, than on the English language end to not have any significant soccer rights beyond. Uh, I really, I don't know what Deportes yeah. has left. Uh, at this point, I mean, they, 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 they have, had been able to yeah. well, they got, uh, they, sub-license Champions League games from Fox, which had kept them rolling these last few years. But I, I think they're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. I mean, they've got niche uh, games. They've got like uh, DFB, DFB uh, Pokal, the, the German Cup games. They've got uh, some friendlies, international World Cup friendlies. Copa um, del Rey. Yeah, Copa, yeah, yeah. That's Copa del Rey in Spanish is on Deportes, I think. It's not on... Uh, well, yeah. ESPN2 usually shows, like, the final. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but, but, right. but But going back to what I was going to say before, too, I mean, this is a big deal for Univision. We'll get that onto that on another show, probably. But with... Um, so, Turner Sports paid $60 million for this. Uh, Univision paid $40 million. 
uh, reports are that Fox put in a bid of around $30 million a year for this one. Now, according to one of my sources from Fox Sports, from within Fox Sports, uh, they were saying that NBC Sports, the only reason that NBC Sports was interested uh, in the Champions League was to try to increase the, the, the bidding pr uh, price that Fox would have to put in to try to get, get, get these rights. Now, my source revealed that NBC uh, didn't put in the bid. I think Sports Business uh, Journal said that uh, they put in a token bid. So whether, whether it's token or no bid, basically NBC was involved in the process but decided not to put in a, a significant bid. And maybe that was one of those kind of poker plays where they're just trying to increase the, the value and try to get whoever gets the rights, whether it's Turner Sports or Fox Sports, is make them pay through the nose and make, make them pay a lot of money for this, make it more competitive. Um, so that's, that's interesting, too. I, I don't think NBC loses out by this by any means. I mean, with the, the Premier League, they've got enough on their hands. Champions League would have been nice, but uh, you mean, if it's not, not, not the, the right price for them and uh, if they're not able to generate the revenue from the advertising side and, and uh, kind of uh, you mean basically, basically add dollars then maybe it's not an, as an attractive of, of a property. But it's more important, I think, for Turner right. Sports. And Turner, and Turner is able to spend more money, again, because they're not uh, bidding ridiculous money on football pro American football right. properties. Exactly. So, so you're, you're running a risk if you tap up the cost of everything in soccer and in other sports um, that, that, that things end up going to Turner. Now, Turner lost uh, – they had the rights to the uh, – to, to, to much of the Open Championship. They lost that to NBC recently, and that was split between Turner and, the, and ESPN. Uh, or, and then, oh, no, sorry, then ESPN got the full, had the full rights for the last seven years, so never mind. But um, Turner does not, they have just niche properties other than basketball. They have uh, the first two rounds of the PGA Championship. They have, um, like, the PGA, uh, uh, they have some assorted golf events, but very few, they have no PGA Tour events. And uh, they're not in the tennis game. So they have the money to spend, mm -hmm. uh, particularly if this merger goes through. I could see them in the next round of bidding on, uh, on things really going wild. Now, we're five years away from the next Premier League rights coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, if Turner is comfortable with the Champions League at that point, NBC may have just kind of unleashed a new competitor that – the unintended consequences of trying to trying to uh, push Fox and yeah. ESPN out of the game, uh, because again, I don't think Turner is going to get. Turner has not broadcast football of any kind since the XFL went out of business, the infamous XFL in two thousand one. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that they're into the idea of covering American football anymore. I think it makes sense. Your your, your sources are telling you they might be bidding on other soccer properties. It makes a lot of sense to me that they're going to that this could be like basketball kind of a niche for them because they don't uh they covered nascar for a while but they, they lost those rights um and uh they don't really have a lot of sporting property now of course they have uh they don't have a dedicated sports channel but at the same time they have the type of kind of variety programming with movies and sitcoms i have to admit i watch a lot of uh movies on on tnt and on T, uh, not really on TBS, but on TNT and on Turner Classic Movies. I watch Turner Classic Movies all the time. Um, they have the kind of uh, portfolio, portfolio of other non-sporting items that I think crosses over with the kind of audience soccer has developed in the United States. So I think it's a really good fit. That's my opinion. I know I'm much more uh, bullish on this than other people. Uh, other people, some people are skeptical about Turner. 
I think a lot of people are just happy Turner got the rights because it's not Fox, but they're not, they haven't thought through the implications of Turner getting the rights. Uh, I'm pretty bullish on this whole thing. Yeah, and that's one thing, too, just to remind listeners, too. So this doesn't happen until August or September of 2018. So Fox has one more uh, season of uh, just over a year of uh, Champions League uh, that's remaining. So we've got the, the rest of the season, and then we've got next season. Uh, it's a big blow for people like Rob Stone, but, I mean, you've got the World Cup rights, too. So, I mean, you've got basically kind of a guaranteed job there for the, the next uh, three World Cups. But the, the, the thing that surprised me, Kartik, was that... Um, I was shocked, and, and this takes a lot, but I was personally shocked at the number of people that were celebrating that Fox lost the rights. And I, 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 know, <laughs> I know that there's a ton of people that hate Fox's coverage of soccer, but even I was surprised by the number of people that were celebrating on, on social media. About- oh, yeah, it was, it was jubilation. Um, it, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned this in the article I wrote earlier in the week uh, for World Soccer Talk. Uh, Twitter was, in, was lit that night, which was last Friday, I believe. It was uh, when, when we broke the story, when we broke the story first year of World Soccer Talk. Uh, it was absolutely lit, going maybe nine to one ratio of people celebrating, saying, hey, we're not really sure about Turner, but it's not Fox. It, they, can't be, they can't possibly be as bad, it, it was the general sense. And I feel that um, I'm not a fan of Fox's soccer coverage compared to NBC and ESPN, but I think it's a little unfair considering the, all the sacrifices and commitment that Fox has made to broadcast this sport. And we've gotten to the point in this country with this sport largely because of their commitment. So um, it's unfortunate to see that, but we have a lot of newer soccer fans who just cannot stand Fox. Yeah, and, and they've improved by, by leaps and bounds for sure, and um, both in quantity and in quality of coverage. But there's still things that they do that just, just I think, upset me, but also I was just, just really surprised by the number of people, I mean, huge number of people that kind of uh, said the same things or said similar things in terms of just, I mean, whether it's Lalas, who's such a, uh, a polar figure in terms of whether you love him or hate him, but they just have a lot of personalities and a lot of, um, just, the, just the way that they approach soccer just turns a lot of people off. And I was just really shocked by, by the, the, the number of people that came out of the woodwork on this one. But, um, but that's the thing, though, Kartik, I mean, you, like you said, too, is that we don't know yet. We don't know all the details. Uh, we don't know what their vision is. We don't know if this is going to be a, a purely streaming product because with the amount of games, I mean, it's not just Champions League, but it's Europa League games, too. With the amount of games that are shown, uh, we don't know, I mean, those, 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 what Turner Sports is thinking yet. What we do know, though, is that... Um, with these new rights uh, that start in 2018 for the 2018-19 season of the Champions League is that the game kickoff times for Champions League matches are going to be, um, instead of 2.45 Eastern time, it's going to be 1 o'clock Eastern time and then 3 o'clock Eastern time. So it's going to be slightly staggered. I mean, you might have your I mean, Real Madrid against Bayern Munich at, at 1 p.m. and then your Barcelona against uh, Manchester City at, at 3 p.m. So there's a good opportunity here for a double double headers, which for soccer fans and for TV companies, this is a dream come true in terms of trying to have a, a block of time that's basically four hours of back to back quality soccer. But at the same time, we know that there's you mean half a dozen other games are happening at the same time. So how does Turner Sports get those games on? Whether it's their sister channels or by that time, if they're being acquired by uh, AT and T, which acquires Time Warner, maybe there's some some other. They channels. also have. Uh, I, I forgot. They also have True TV. 
uh, right. which uh, yeah. they have used to show, yeah. by the way, they have used to show the play-in games for the NCAA tournament, uh, which are um, kind of sub-tournament games. You, you, the field is 68, and they wither down to 64, which you bracket for 64, right? So there are these play-in games that, that are the two days before the tournament starts, and they show those on True TV, which is a network which is less prominent. That's probably where the Europa League, if the Europa League's even going to be on television, that's probably where it goes. Mm-hmm. But as far as yeah. Champions League, I could see them doing um, one in three on TNT and maybe uh, one of the time slots on TBS also. So maybe three games uh, of, of, of each day people will get. The, the, the timing of this, Kartik, is perfect too because, I mean, the, the Fox rights end at uh, June 2018 for the Champions League and then uh, Turner Sports picks them up in basically August of 2018, kind of with the, kind of the qualification rounds. But it's right after a World Cup. So you, you, you right. and I know from the 2006 World Cup, every single World Cup, there's a huge rise. Whether the U.S. does well or not, there's always a huge rise in interest in that sport. And this is the perfect way to kind of, uh, kind of take that and pull them right. into I, I remember uh, I remember 2006 World Cup coming right out of it. You had uh, this, this newfound interest and people trying to find something to watch. And Bill Simmons, who um, is... Uh, uh, you know, one of the most prominent sports voices in the country is uh, more of an NBA guy than an American football guy. As we know, yeah. right? He's not, he's persona non grata with the NFL writes this long column for ESPN. He, this was before ESPN and he, he fell out again because he's more objective about the NFL than, um, ESPN would like being a rights holder, um, wrote, wrote this wrong, long article coming out of the world cup about, okay, so the premier league is the league I'm going to follow and I have to pick a team. And he went through all 20 teams that were in the league that year and determined that he was going to be a Spurs fan. And he's remained a Spurs fan now for 12 years or 11 years, however long since that World Cup. But I remember that article being a driver of people saying, well, Bill Simmons likes soccer now. Yep. Well, maybe we should. And it, every World Cup we've had this. 2010, we had a huge bump coming out of the World Cup that I can attest to as someone who was working in the game at the time uh, with the North American Soccer League, that we had a huge bump in interest in our teams at the second division level in the United States. And then um, 2014, we saw a similar bump. Now, um, the risk here is that you hit a law of diminishing returns at some point. Uh, It's also possible the U.S. doesn't qualify for 2018. We've never really had to say that about previous World Cups. Uh, And if that's the case, then I don't know how it affects the audience. Although, based on the types of numbers ESPN does for the Euros and the, the, the amount of interest that we see still in South American soccer and in Mexico, uh, I think World Cup ratings will still be pretty high for Fox, even if the U.S. doesn't qualify. Yeah. Now, the, the issue being that Fox has gone very much in an ESPN 2006 direction, making so much of what they do about the United States and about Major League Soccer and promotion of that. That's the, that might be the issue. Uh, but if they can pivot mm-hmm. to a more general soccer feel, uh, that might – lead perfectly into what Turner wants to do in 2018, starting in August with Champions League, because those will be all European clubs with uh, players from, presumably, uh, players from outside the USA, other than maybe Christian Pulisic, who who hopefully will still be at Dortmund at that point and and be playing as much as he does currently. Yeah. Yeah, In some ways, I almost feel that Fox, this is kind of karma to Fox, um, which is, I don't know, maybe that's a bit harsh, but, but in terms of like, that Fox has been taking the Champions League for granted, and we've talked about this for a few months now, where the pregame show, which should be 30 minutes of kind of, all right, let's talk about these matches coming up, but instead it's, it's been turned into a Fox soccer report that talks about, 
you mean Major League Soccer, U.S. Soccer, Klinsman, whatever it may be, it's turned into a soccer news show. So in some ways, they, they've kind of, you mean, kind of taken it for granted, kind of misused some of that UEFA Champions League uh, opportunities there. But at the same time, though, too, you mean, at the end of the day, it's money talks and that bidding process. Yeah, if you want Champions League match previews, you have to watch the Monday night and Tuesday night ver- uh, editions of uh, ESPN FC. Right. Yeah, yeah, because they go in depth into every match, and, and they'll bring in if it, there's a, a German team involved, they'll bring Hangenstein in, or if it's a Spanish team, they'll bring Sid Lowe in, and uh, Gab Marcotti is usually on the show adding insight, and that's the kind of coverage you would expect Fox to have leading into. <laughs> Into these Champions League right. games, but yeah. instead, you know, I guess I I I haven't been as it hasn't been as a bu- much of a bugaboo publicly for me because I just don't watch the Fox pregame shows. I know what to expect, and I watch ESPN FC every night. And sometimes I catch it the next morning on my DVR when I wake up. But uh, I, I'm I'm up to date with ESPN FC, and I get all the kind of preview of uh, Champions League I need from from that show and from uh, from the insights of Craig Burley and Shaka Hislop and Steve Nichol. I don't I don't need Fox, but mm-hmm. The reality is the vast majority of people watching the Champions League are not watching ESPN FC. They're watching Fox and they're watching that pregame show and they're not getting what they what they want. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, to end this uh, segment, Kartik, I just hope that uh, Turner Sports kind of takes a page from NBC Sports. Uh, when NBC Sports acquired the rights to the Premier League, they knew nothing about soccer. I mean, they had very little knowledge within the soccer within the organization in New York City about the sports. They didn't really know much about it at all. And I think Turner Sports is in a very similar situation in terms of a, uh, a corporation that's very focused on basketball and, and other sports. But really, uh, the thing that NBC did, 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 they did the research. So they looked at websites, they looked at forums, they, looked, they talked to people and tried to get as much information as possible about what viewers liked, what they didn't like. Uh, and kind of what was most appealing and, and things like, like that. So they did their research, and, and it shows. It shows in terms of... One, what, la- one last point I should sure. make is that um, CNN has for years had the World Sports Show, yeah. which has been aired out of their Atlanta studios and is heavily focused on soccer. So there's some knowledge even in the building. They have that advantage over what NBC had. There is some knowledge yeah. even in the building at uh, Turner's headquarters in Atlanta of soccer. They just have to go across the aisle to the international, CNN International, yeah. across the, the building and, uh, and and talk with some folks. Uh, NBC point. didn't even have that, and look at how well they've done. Yeah, that's a great point. And hopefully Turner Sports uh, kind of basically it takes this time. They have the time to go ahead and do the research and do everything that they need to know. To I mean, they can do a great job, and this could be a, a huge hit for Turner Sports. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. All right, Kartik, so thanks uh, to uh, thanks for everyone for listening to this show. Uh, so, Kartik, where can they find you on uh, on Twitter if they want to hit you up with uh, any K-K- uh, feedback? K- oh, sorry, KKFLA737. Okay, and listeners, too, if you do have any questions, feedback, questions, uh, or you, you disagree with us, I mean, uh, let us know. Uh, you can contact us through email at web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is wsoccertalk. And then Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. We'd love to uh, get your feedback and questions and comments and uh, to read those out on air on the next episode. Um, so basically, if you, if you can get, uh, if you're listening to this, um, you can get new episodes every Thursday uh, of the World Soccer Talk podcast through SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and of course, worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Kartik, how about you? Enjoy your football.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.